Shalom and welcome to The Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. Transformation is a beautiful thing. It is something we all yearn for, to transform into that prince or princess who we know we are, if we can just slay all the dragons we face within ourselves. We all wish that there could be this fairy godmother who with a twirl of her wand would bring forth our objective mind, our kind heart and our beautiful personality which all lay beneath the rags and bruises inflicted upon us by our witch of a stepmother, figuratively speaking. For those of you who didn't grow up on Disney movies and are more scientifically inclined, for you it might be a pill or a metaphysical liposuction surgery instead of a fairy godmother. However, the desire is the same. Transform me and wake me up when you finish. But life doesn't work as such, at least not for the most of us. As a matter of fact, I read this medical report concerning the effects of NDEs, which stands for Near-Death Experience, and research has proven that NDE at large do not cause life-lasting changes. The wild driver in an NDE car crash will not long endure a change to lawful and considerate driving unless he takes upon himself to make a life change of the educational variety, where he studies and works daily on internalizing the free gift of life he was just given, and works daily on subduing his reckless and selfish and selfish Mr. Hyde. And this is precisely what this lecture is all about, subduing the rebellion within. In the language of Kabbalah and Hasidus, the word for transformation is ishapcha, and the word for subduing is iskafia. In this lecture, we are going to explore two of the most beautiful garments of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, which are the ephod apron and the choshen breastplate. And both of these garments, they were precious stones upon which the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel were engraved, and yet each in a very different manner. Through the mystical exploration of the differences between these two garments, we will learn of the differences between the necessary hard road of Iskafia and the destiny of Ishapcha. This week's Torah portion, the parasha, speaks of the eight garments of the Kohen Gadol and the four garments of the plain Kohen, which they must each wear when they are doing service in the Bet HaMikdash, the Holy Temple. The four garments of the plain Kohen are robe, pants, hat, and belt. The additional four garments of the Kohen Gadol are the golden tzitz forehead plate, the Me'il blue robe, famous for its bells and pomegranates sewn on, uh, onto its hem. The Aphod apron and the Choshen breastplate. For our lecture, I will take a moment to explain just the Aphon apron and the Choshen breastplate. The Aphon apron would wrap around the Kohen Gadol from the back, with its belt tying around his waist, and with two shoulder straps coming up from the back over his shoulders. On each of the shoulder straps of the Aphod apron, there was a setting in which there was a precious stone called Shoham. And on each of them, there were inscribed six engraved, six of the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. From these settings came down a golden chain, which was connected to the top two corners of the Choshen breastplate. On the belt of the Aphon apron were attached two golden rings from which a blue wool string was tied and the other end 
of each tied to one of the bottom two corners of the Choshen breastplate. Thus the verse states that the Choshen breastplate must be tied to the Aphon apron in a fashion that the Choshen breastplate will not shake. Now let's talk about the Choshen breastplate. The Choshen breastplate was a vertical rectangle, which when folded vertically in half upward, made a square. The Choshen had four rows of three settings in each row, and in each setting was a specific precious stone, upon which a name of the twelve tribes of Israel were engraved. Once folded, the Choshen breastplate formed a pocket in which a piece of parchment with God's name written upon it was placed. This parchment was called the Urim Vitumim, of which you hear in the books of prophets where, that the king would ask questions of the high priest to receive God's answer. The Urim Vitumim is not a mandatory part of the Kohen Gadol's eight garments and his service was fit even when the Urim Vitumim were missing in the times of the second holy temple. One last point is that concerning the engraved twelve names of the twelve tribes of Israel, the verse states, that the Kohen Gadol should wear them, and now I quote the verse, and they will be a remembrance before God. That means that they serve as a remembrance for the children of Israel before God when the Holy High Kohen Gadol was serving while he was wearing them in the Holy Temple. This in general, this is in general the description of these two garments, the Aphod apron and the Choshen breastplate. As you just learned, there are two differences in the way the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were engraved upon the precious stones. Concerning the ephod, they were not individually engraved upon separate stones, but were all equally engraved as one. Now, parenthetically speaking, for the point of this lecture, their being engraved as six on one stone and six on the other stone was just aesthetics and is not of specific individual significance. Thus, we're going to say that they were all engraved together. While on the Choshen, the breastplate, each tribe is individually engraved onto a different stone. Additionally, concerning the Choshen, the Torah specifically commands us to use 12 different precious stones and dictates exactly where each one should be placed, meaning that the Torah chose exactly which precious stone is for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, while the Ephod two stones were the same for all the names of the tribes of Israel. They were both Shoham stones. Interesting enough, as we will discuss, the Shoham stone that was used for the Aphod was used on the Choshen for the tribe of Joseph. So, what we see from this is that on the stones of the Aphod, the Jewish people stood as a remembrance before God as a homogeneous people, while on the Choshen, the Jewish people stood as individuals, each with their own spiritual and physical personalities. We find this as well in the teachings of our sages upon how the Jewish people crossed the Sea of Reeds, which was not through one grand opening of the sea. Rather, the sea opened into twelve openings, and each tribe traveled through their own specific opening. Our sages teach us that it was the same concerning the prayers of the Jewish people, that each tribe had their own liturgy of prayer. And as well, there were twelve openings to the Holy Temple, exemplifying each tribe's own path of prayer and entrance into the Holy Temple. Let's talk about the number twelve. This number twelve represents taking the oneness of a dot into the twelve angles of a three-dimensional box. How does that work? A three-dimensional box is made up 
of the four lines to form the roof square, the four lines it takes to form the floor box, and the four lines that connects from the four corners of the roof to the four corners of the floor to form the four walls. So we have 12 lines. It takes 12 lines, 12 corners, 12 angles to go ahead and create a three-dimensional box. So too the 12 tribes represent taking the spiritual oneness of Jacob, their father, and bringing it into the three-dimensional physical lives of Jacob's offspring, the 12 tribes of three-dimensionality. One last introduction for this lecture is to understand what Kabbalah and Hasidus explain about Moses and Aaron being the bridesmaid and the groomsman, so to speak, between the groom, which is God, and the bride, which is the children of Israel. Our sages teach us that God adorned Mount Sinai with flowers and lifted the mountain upon our heads to serve as the chuppah marriage canopy for our betrothal to God when God gave us His Holy Torah. So it was a wedding. By a wedding you need a groomsman and a bridesmaid. The mystical definition of a groomsman here is that he brings us our groom, capital G, from above to below. And the bridesmaid job is that he elevates us and empowers us, the bride, to rise up to be with our groom from below to above. Moses is the groomsman who brings us from God, our groom, the Torah. Aaron is the bridesmaid. This is what the mystical meaning behind Aaron's kindling the seven candles of the menorah in the holy temple is all about. The verse does not say that Aaron kindled or lit the candles of the menorah. Rather, the verse says, which means to elevate, to bring up from below to above the candles of the menorah. Thus, Aaron would first fill the cups with oil, arrange the wick, and then bring up the candles to illuminate with the light of God, our groom. So too it is when Aaron wore the precious stones with the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, so that it be a remembrance before God. It was Aaron doing his job as our bridesmaid, elevating us and bringing us before our groom. However, what we are about to learn is that when Aaron the Kohen Gadol wore our names on the Choshim breastplate, he was primarily working as Aaron the bridesmaid. While, and while when he wore our names on the Aphor apron, he was serving as a conduit for Moses the groomsman, which is the secret behind the Shoham stone. The Hebrew letters for the word Shoham are the same three letters of the name Moshe, Mem, Shin, Hey. Well, with now you understand why the title of this lecture is The Rock of Moses, the Shoham Stone. With these introductions in place, let us now begin to explore the deeper mystical secrets of the ephod and the Choshet garments of the Kohen Gadol. The primary aspect of these two garments, the ephod apron and the Choshen breastplate, is that the ephod wrapped around from the back, while the Choshen was worn on the front. The front in Kabbalah represents primarily the face, which in Hebrew is the same word for interior, panim, pinimi. It implies all of the intellectuals, intellects of our paradigms and perceptions and all of our emotions, our capacity of having feelings. However, the back represents the absence of all of our higher self of intellectual and emotional capacities. The definition of back is that we all ha that all we have is our obedience based upon our faith. Two big words here. Obedience based upon our 
faith. We are not yet refined to be able to have a higher paradigm of perception or to have selfless true feelings to connect with the truth of God. However, even in such a state of the lack of refinement, we have faith, emunah. We can connect with our faith and act upon it with simple obedience. This is why God commands us after, behind God, that means after, achare in Hebrew, after or behind God, you shall walk. Telling us that in a spiritual state of exile, when we cannot yet connect with our higher self to intellectually and emotionally appreciate and be devoted to God, nevertheless, even then we can and must walk behind God with obedience. This is also the meaning behind the verse concerning when the nation ran away from Egypt, in which God says, a verse in Jeremiah, I remember to you the loving kindness of your youth, the love of your nuptials, your following after me in the desert in a land not sown. The Jewish people at the time were of youth, still not refined from the impurity and coarseness of the Egyptian slavery of 210 years to be able to intellectually understand or emotionally feel their relationship with God. However, they had faith and therefore were able to obediently follow after God into the desert. God is telling us that He forever remembers this act of obedience in our times of coarseness when we were leaving the impurity of Egypt. This is the mystical spiritual dimension of the aphod, which wraps around from the back. When our animalistic instincts, fears, and self-centeredness are raging in our hearts and hollering in our minds, this act of overcoming the noise and to act with obedience because of our faith is called iskafia. Iskafia literally means to forcefully bend over the animal. It is the service of subduing the rebellion within us with the simple dryness of forcing ourselves to act with obedience regardless of what we think and what we feel. Now let's talk about the other garment, the Choshen breastplate. The Choshen which is worn on the front is the second service, which is called transformation, in which our intellects and emotions have been transformed from self-seeking, self-pity, dishonesty and fear, and therefore can now be used in our service to God. However, as I described to you in our introduction, the Choshen is tied to the ephod from above to the ephod shoulder straps and from below to the ephod belt. The Torah warns us that it must be tightly tied so that it does not move around. What this tells us on a spiritual level is that first we must travel the journey of Iskafia, subduing of the rebellion, and don the ephod powers before we can don the Choshen. And then even once we have done the Ishapcha transformation of the Choshen, we must always remain steadfast and connected to our iskafia subduing of the rebellion, the aphod, in order to maintain the safety of our ishapcha transformation to serve God truthfully. Now we can explore the difference between these two forms of service, that of iskafia and that of ishapcha. When it comes to the service of iskafia subduing the rebellion within, we are speaking of the obedience driven by faith in which all of the children of Israel are identical twins, experiencing the identical essence of the soul within them. 
in the service of Escafia, all Jews are homogeneous in the bare essence of faith and the obedience that it drives. Our Jewish people are our Jewish people are identical. So, therefore, the individuality of the person lay within our faculties of intellect and emotions, and the talents within our faculties that we each differently have. However, in our essence, in our to be or not to be core essence of our faith relationship with God, we are all homogeneously equal. In this Hafka transformation experience, in which our intellects and emotions are freed from the bondage of self, we are then free to each experience the beauty of our individuality in how we each serve God and our fellow. This is why on the aphod, in which we serve solely with our power of faith and the obedience to walk after God, as we forcefully subdue the rebellion within, all the names of the twelve tribes of Israel are expressed as homogeneous. While on the Choshen, in which we experience our transformational freedom of our bondage of self, and in which we are free to serve God with our God-given brains, hearts, and talents, the twelve tribes of Israel each experience their gift of individuality and are engraved on separate stones, each a different type of precious stone. Let us take a more intricate look into the Aharon, the bridesmaid. I mentioned earlier that Aaron served as a bridesmaid through his daily kindling of the lamps of the menorah. If so, why does Aaron need to also serve as our bridesmaid through carrying us on his garments? The difference between the kindling of the lamp of the menorah and the wearing of the garments on a mystical spiritual level is that the menorah lights refer to the godly soul, while the garments refer to the animalistic soul. The verse states concerning our godly soul, man's soul is the, the God's lamp. What this means is that there is two parts in the bridesmaid work. One is to bring forth the yearning our godly souls of our godly souls for the go for the godly soul to connect to its source. I'm sorry. Let me back up. What this means is that there that there is two part. There are two parts in the bridesmaid's work. One is to bring forth the yearning of our godly soul, so that the godly soul connects to its source, and to illuminate our animalistic soul. However. Then there is the work of the refinement of the animalistic soul, so that it can become transparent and that its intellects and emotions can match with those of the godly soul. Both of these jobs of the bridesmaid, the bringing forth the illumination and yearning of the godly soul and the refinement of the animalistic soul, is begin in the hostile environment of the inner rebellion where our paradigm is that of the self-seeking, egocentric pursuit of self. The thunderous roar of the mind and the heart at the moment is, I want what I want, and I want it now. Thus, the first step of the journey is the iskafia, subduing of the rebellion within. On a deeper level, just as the garments have both the homogeneous back aphod and the individuality front Choshen, so to the kindling of the lamps of the menorah have the homogeneous oil filling of the lamps 
and the individual elevation of the soul, of the flames. Now let us take a look into the groom man's job. Yes, as I began the lecture, we all want to be on the broad highway of freedom and spirituality in which we are already free from the bondage of self, where we are transformed and free to use our individual talents of intellect and emotions to paint our unique, beautiful masterpiece of divinity. However, let us step back from our own wishes and ask of ourselves, where is our truest service of God? In other words, where are we actively stepping out of self and into God? Where is it that our service is completely about Thy will, not mine, be done? Is it not more so in the Escafia subduing of the rebellion within than it is in the Ishapcha transformation experience? We experience our core essence of our souls, its omnipotent faith and its direct drive of obedience in Escafia subduing of the rebellion within. This is why for this service of Escafia we need to experience the rock of Moses, the Shoham stone. For Moses is the ultimate faithful shepherd who feeds his flock with faith. Now we can appreciate why on the Choshen there is also the Shoham stone and it is the rock of Joseph. Joseph was different than all of his brothers. His brothers were of the lowest spiritual caliber and therefore shied away from engaging with the physical environment, choosing for themselves the more spiritual life of being a shepherd out in the fields of meditation, prayer, and Torah study. Joseph, on the other hand, was of the higher spiritual level and therefore was able to completely assimilate into the physical environment of being the viceroy of Egypt from whom all were sustained while maintaining and growing his own spirituality. This is why King David in Psalms refers to the Jewish people as all being B'nai Yosef, children of Joseph. For it was precisely Joseph who sustained us in the times of famine. What this spiritually means is that Joseph, as Moses, is the one to feed us in our times of spiritual exile, spiritual starvation, and famine of intellectual and emotional spiritual capacities. Joseph, as Moses, gave us the strength of Iskafia subduing the rebellion within in our spiritually dark times, descending into the impurity of Egypt. This is the greater power and the greater experience in which Iskafia is far more godly than Ishapcha, in which there is more of God and less of self in the experience. And my friends, was not Joseph himself the symbol of Iskafia in his own subduing and forcefully overcoming the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife in which he left behind his cloak and ran away? In closing, we can now understand the reading of the second Torah scroll of the Shabbat, which is called Zachar, Remember. In this portion, we are commanded to remember what Amalek did and to eradicate the remembrance of Amalek. The Jewish people had just left Egypt and were spiritual, spiritually youthful. It was at this moment that Amalek chose to strike against the Jewish people. The Jewish people were in the barren desert, 
and we're enjoying the awe that struck all the nations after hearing what happened to the Egyptians in Egypt with the ten plagues and at the splitting of the sea. It was only a Amalek that donned the brazen chutzpah to go out into the desert to attack the Jewish people. Thus, we have here the brazen chutzpah of rebellion attacking the spiritually young and weak. It is time for the Rock of Moses to empower the Jewish people in order for the Iskafia subduing, for us to be able to do the Iskafia subduing of the rebellion. The Torah tells us that Moses commanded the war and that the victory of the war against the Amalekites depended upon the hands of Moses being lifted towards heaven. Moses' hands felt heavy and Aaron and Hur supported them. Joshua and the army were unable to completely subdue the rebellion of Amalek. And there still remains within each and every one of us the rebellion within of Amalek that we must subdue. And for this we have Moses, the Rebbe of our generation, that feeds us from the Shoham stone to put ourselves aside, make room for God, and to act upon but our faith with total obedience. Friends, Modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here at the Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.